Bonjour à tous. Good morning to you all. Since we're speaking in tongues this morning, I thought I'd join. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's good to be with you again this morning. I enjoyed speaking in Sunday school. Thank you. I get another opportunity here. But before we dive into the Word of God again, I'm supposed to give you a a brief update on where we are at. So deputation for us has gone very well. The Lord has definitely blessed us, and we can, we can see his hand in that. He blessed us with a good lineup of churches to visit this time around. We mostly uh, contacted and visited churches we had some sort of connection to, whether that be I knew the pastor from somewhere else, or maybe a friend recommended we contact that church or through one of the institutions that we've studied at. And uh, the Lord blessed that effort. He gave us a very uh, decent schedule. And uh, right now, uh, as we have been saying in our prayer letters, we, uh, between the amount of monthly support that has been committed and uh, the one-time gifts we have received, we, are, uh, we feel that we have enough to go ahead and launch out on uh, the first step we believe God has for us, which would be the extended year-long survey trip. But just so maybe you have an idea, uh, some people like specifics. So right now we are, we are at uh, 62% of our monthly, our minimum monthly goal of 3,000 a month. So that's the, uh, that would be the amount that has been committed to be given on a, uh, on a monthly or a quarterly basis. So that projected, between that projected over the next 12 months and the funds that we have uh, currently available to us, such as in our missions account that's connected to the church year, uh, we've been able to raise over $52,000 for the next uh, 12 and a half months. Uh, so we are very thankful uh, for the Lord's provision of that, and we are trusting and hoping that as we actually get to the field and start doing things, some of those churches that haven't taken us on yet, uh, we'll make a decision to do that. That does happen. Uh, it's not unusual for that to happen. So I am told uh, at this point we are still uh, continuing to move towards Burkina Faso. The situation over there uh, remains very similar to what we have been saying. There's still, uh, there's still trouble in a good deal of the country, but the missionaries we know of over there continue to stay and uh, operate. We are knocking on the door of applying for visas and getting tickets. Um, we are trying to be careful. Uh, we, did, we have not done that. We have not specifically applied for visas yet. One thing we were waiting on was my father-in-law uh, paid to have kind of a professional security report done for us, so we decided to wait until we got that. We got that, and I recently talked that over with uh, Pastor Wesco in one precaution. We think we're going to take before we actually apply is I'm going to contact all the missionaries we know of over there on the ground and ask them to tell us uh, specifically and honestly if they have any reservations uh, about us coming at this time. So please be aware that that is the, uh, that is the situation. That's why we have not specifically applied for our visas and bought tickets yet. And, uh, but as far as we can tell, there is still a door there, so we are not turning away yet. And we would very much appreciate your prayers 
and uh, in that regard. So there is a brief update on where we are at. Why don't we take our Bibles? And I'd like us to turn to Second, I mean, First Thessalonians this morning. First Thessalonians. I have come to appreciate this book of the Bible, and the reason I like it so much is the first three chapters of Thess- of, uh, of First Thessalonians. Paul begins by encouraging this new church by recounting his visit. And he begins by rehearsing for them what he and his missionary team did while, while, he, while they were there, the response of the Thessalonians. And really, it's very practical for me personally at this point in my life because as Paul does that, obviously he's doing it under inspiration. And because of that, he reveals to us uh, the heart and mindset of a missionary that pleases God. So I've come to very much appreciate this book of the Bible, and I would like to share a thought with you from here this morning. Our thought is going to come from chapter 2 and verse 2, but I'd like to go ahead and read chapter 1 as that sets the context. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Lord, we pause now and thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for not leaving us in the dark concerning who you are and how that is relevant to our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel and the peace that we enjoy with you 
Through that, I ask that you would take your word this morning. Lord, give me wisdom as I speak. And Lord, would you take your word and would you help each of us to leave this morning encouraged in who you are and what you're able to do in our lives. We thank you and we praise you for this and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Some of you may recall a while back Pastor Wesco preached I believe it was a sermon series on 1 Peter, and in that series he preached a message on the manifold grace of God, how the grace of God is so vast and so deep and so wide that it's actually something that's very hard to define. And uh, if you'll remember the illustration of it's like a gem, it's like a diamond, where if you look at it one way, it sparkles one way. If you look at it another way, it sparkles a different way. And when you think about the grace of God, maybe you can meditate on Christmas, how God sent his son, but he didn't come as a king. He came as one of us, a normal, poor person. You can, we can think about the grace of God and meditate on how the grace of God makes us at peace with God. Christ is the propitiation from our sins. He, He is the one that satisfies the wrath of God towards us. And what a wonderful, marvelous, incredible thing that is. You can think about the grace of God and how not only did God save us from our sin, but he actually came to live within us, to live life with us. He actually reconciled us to himself so that we could live with him now and forever. And uh, we could stand here and talk all day about different facets about the grace of God because it is such a rich and vast thing. But you know, one thing, one facet of the grace of God that maybe doesn't always come to mind is the fact that God has taken men who were his enemies and made them his servants. All of us are born enemies of God. Lost and bound to sin. And yet one of the things God does in our salvation is like we said, he takes us, he forgives us of our sins, he grants us peace in his presence, and then he takes us and gives us an opportunity to join him in his mission on earth. Uh, We should not look at that as a light thing. That is truly a gift from God. God is not, he's not bound to use us to accomplish what he wants on earth. That he has allowed us to participate is truly a privilege he has gifted us, a privilege he has extended towards us, a privilege that, quite frankly, we don't deserve, because as the Bible clearly says, we were the enemies of God. And what a wonderful thing uh, the Great Commission is. It should not surprise us at all that we find the teaching of the Great Commission in the New Testament. Uh, The Bible is very clear that God has a love for this world that is absolutely humongous. It is beyond 
our ability to uh, comprehend or wrap our brains around. And uh, you have to, you have to, you have to twist some certain scriptures very hard to come up with the idea that when Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world, that he only died for a select few. The Bible is very clear that when the Lord Jesus came, it was for every man, every woman, every child that has ever come into existence on this planet. The sacrifice that he paid was for them all. His resurrection, his defeat of death was for them all. His victory was complete in that regard. So it should not surprise us that before the Lord Jesus went to heaven, he gave what we call the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, he says to his disciples, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. If we were to turn to Mark, we would find that uh, Mark records Jesus saying there, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not one left out. If we were to turn to Luke and read what he records there, we would find that he said that repentance in his name should be preached among all nations. If we were to, to turn to Acts and see what Jesus said there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost or the, or the last or the final part of the earth. If you can imagine a point as far away from you as possible on this globe, if there are people there, I want the gospel to go there. Is what Christ was saying. And uh, that is just, it is a wonderful truth that God would want the gospel to go that far and wide. And what a privilege he's given us to participate in that. Uh, but if we meditate on that truth, if we meditate on that command of Christ, and we start to think about the practical implications, if that command is actually going to be physically carried out, we might not appreciate uh, what, we, what we discover. And uh, that is a problem that the disciples of Christ have faced since Jesus went to heaven. And uh, that is this. Some of those people that Jesus said to take the gospel to are uh, living in conditions that you and I might not want to enter into. Uh, they're, they're living in circumstances that you and I, quite frankly, don't want any part of. And, uh, you know, I don't like that fact. But uh, that is the way things are. And 
no one understood that better than Paul. If you're familiar at all with his story, you know exactly what I mean. Paul understood that there was, there was difficulty in spreading the gospel to regions where it was not known or very little known. There was difficulty in very real hardship involved and to actually do what Jesus said to do would require courage on his part. So I'd like to address the subject of courage this morning. You know, Paul went places and he did things that you and I might, uh, might not do. And so I think he is a very good uh, example for us of how to have courage in the Lord. Let's consider, first of all, Paul's circumstances in this passage. Most likely, Paul wrote this letter uh, while he was on the second missionary journey. If you, re you will recall that journey, uh, Paul had done the first missionary journey and he ministered the gospel there in, in places like Galatia. And uh, after the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, he returned to that area uh, with Silas this time to deliver those decrees and uh, further build up those churches that were there. But Paul, but Paul uh, understood that he had a calling on his life. He understood that uh, God's plan for him was that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. So when uh, Paul finished that establishing work that he was doing there in uh, Asia Minor, he decided to set his eyes on new territory. Where are there Gentiles and no gospel? And if we were to turn to that passage in Acts, we would find that uh, in Acts 16 there, uh, he set his eyes on Asia, uh, the province of Asia there in western Turkey. And, I mean, what a wonderful thing. It definitely was not an evil desire for him to want to go to that place where the gospel was not. That was a very important, very strategic part of the Roman Empire. So sure, it would make sense uh, that he would take the gospel there. Uh, but you know what the account tells us is that uh, God wouldn't let him do it. He said, no, you're not going there right now. And uh, so Paul says, okay, and he turned his attention north. He decided, if I can't go to Asia, maybe I can go north to Bithynia. And uh, the scripture specifically tell, tells us there that he essayed, he actually tried or attempted to go. Uh, but the Holy Spirit would not let him do it. He said, no, you're not going there right, right now. And I, I point that passage out because what a wonderful thing uh, the leadership of God in our life is. The Bible is full of promises that God will lead us, that he is our shepherd, uh, and that he is always with us. And we do well to take comfort in those promises. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall, he will not maybe, but he shall direct thy paths. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he will, not maybe, he will bring it to pass. 
we take comfort in those promises because, quite frankly, when we look at life, sometimes we don't know how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And uh, we're not smart enough to figure out how every situation in our life is, uh, is going to work out for good. And uh, so we, we grab hold on, onto those and we, we put our trust in those, and rightfully so. That is, the, that is the only acceptable response of a child of God to those promises. But what do you do uh, when God leads you to do something? You've been seeking the Lord on something, you've been seeking his guidance on something. And uh, he leads you to do something or to go somewhere or to change something in your life that potentially has consequences that you would rather not have. Sometimes God leads us to do hard things. And quite frankly, sometimes the reason we disobey God simply boils down to we're afraid. So when we are afraid, where do we find courage? And Paul definitely experienced the leadership of God in his life. If you're familiar with the story, you'll remember he kept on his way and he ended up in a city called Troas. And at Troas, one night, he had a, he had a vision, and a, and a man from Macedonia appeared to him in that vision, and he said, come over into Macedonia and help us. And when Paul told the vision to his, uh, his team members there, uh, they said that, I mean, they, they gathered, they assuredly gathered, God wants us to go to Macedonia. And so they didn't hesitate. They got on the next boat from Macedonia, and they went over there. And uh, the first place they stopped was Philippi, and then they ended up here in, in uh, First Thessalonians. And what wonderful things God did when they obeyed. What wonderful things. We read of them in chapter 1. Paul says, he says in verse 5, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. God was with us, was his testimony. It wasn't just us preaching the gospel to you. God came with us and he worked with us. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. If we were to read the account of Acts of what happened there in Thessalonica, we would find that the Lord did indeed, he did a great work. There was a great number of people that came to the Lord because of, of Paul and, his, and, and Timothy and Silas's ministry there. But not only did they become followers of us, look what he says happened in verse 7, so that you were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. These were formal idol worshipers and Jews that were trying to fulfill the law to gain peace with God. And yet Paul says, God so worked in your heart that you became examples of what it means to be a follower of Christ. What a wonderful thing God did. And, and he says, why can I say this? Verse 8, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. 
they themselves became heralds of the gospel they had received of Paul. And that right there is probably the dream of every missionary. Paul had it, that, that those you reach would go on to reach others who would go on to reach others. And it was just what a wonderful thing Paul did. I mean, like, sign me up, like right now, right? For, for they themselves show of what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. Uh, but that was not the whole story of Paul's missionary work. Because First uh, Thessalonians does not end with chapter 1, it goes on to chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, and then verse 2, but even after that we had suffered before, before we got to you in Thessalonica, we suffered, is Paul's testimony, and were shamefully entreated, or shamefully treated, as you know, at Philippi. What is he talking about there? If you will recall the account there of how Paul went, went and landed and went there to Philippi, uh, it started out well. Uh, they met a lady named Lydia by the river there, and she was a person of peace. The Lord opened her heart to the message of the gospel, and uh, they found their first converts of Macedonia, at least that, were, that is recorded in the Bible, in Philippi. And as their ministry went on, they encountered this girl that was, that was possessed by a devil. And uh, some men were using that girl for their own financial gain. And uh, one day, uh, Acts tells us, Paul just had enough of that, and he turned and cast the demon out of her. I mean, what an amazing display of God's power, right? Um, but then the trouble happened. Uh, those men didn't take too kindly to that because that was their, that was their way to financial success. And uh, Paul just destroyed it. Uh, so they, they grabbed Paul and Silas, they dragged them before the, governor, the government of the city, and they accused them of teaching things that are not lawful for Romans to observe. And uh, they were beat. And they were thrown into jail. Their feet were put in the stocks. Now who wants to sign up for that? Most of us would say, no thank you. And obviously, we know the story. God worked on their behalf, and he delivered them in a miraculous way. An earthquake came. It shook that prison. Uh, their chains fell off. The jailer got saved, and uh, they escaped from Philippi with their lives and a, uh, and a church established behind them. What a wonderful ending to that story. But you know what's interesting about the Apostle Paul in that situation is this. He kept going. 
You know, if, I, if, I, if, if you were to put yourself in Paul's shoes, think about it. If that was you, yes, what God did to get you out of jail was absolutely wonderful. It was, you know, amazing. Probably one of the most amazing things you ever experienced in your life. But, uh, you know, Paul was human. And I could see myself in that situation, in that situation, walking out of Philippi and thinking, you know what? I think it's time to retire. <laughs> I think it's time to quit. Uh, I have no desire to experience that again. And besides, I've probably more, done more for the cause of Christ in my generation than many people ever will. Maybe I was wrong about that vision in Troas. Maybe I made a mistake. I guess I discovered that Macedonia is a closed country. But that was not Paul's attitude. Even though they had suffered, even though they were shamefully treated, they went to a new city and repeated the process. And uh, it did end a little bit better for him in Thessalonica, but not too much. At least he didn't get beat there, but he did get chased out of town. And, uh, you know, just, just, wow, Paul, why would you do that? Why would you keep going when most men quit. And uh, I was listening to some preaching a while back, and uh, this preacher made a point that really made me think. And uh, that was this. Sometimes you and I, we will look at another Christian who is, is serving God in the midst of some very difficult circumstances, or who is going through a very deep trial in their life, and maybe we don't say this out loud, but we think in our heart, uh, I could never do what that person is doing. I could never go through what that person is going through. And uh, what that preacher said that made me think was this. When we think thoughts like that, that reveals what we actually believe about God. What that is testifying is that we don't actually believe God to be greater than that set of circumstances. Now, I'm not saying we should go looking for trouble. That's just not healthy. But uh, we do need to live a life of faith that reflects who God truly is. And quite frankly, sometimes the reason we struggle with fear is because we are guilty of small thinking about God. We are not taking into account who he is in the situation. You know, Paul's an example of a man we might be tempted to do that to. We might bring him here, set him down on the front row, gather around him and say, Paul, 
how did you do what you did? We admire you for your faith. Why did you, do, why did you keep going? Why didn't you go back to Antioch where you would have been well-received and comfortable? And I think if Paul were here, he would look at us and say, you need to get better acquainted with God. You don't understand just how great and faithful God is. And Paul testifies here in verse 2 why they could keep going. So we suffered, we were shamefully entreated at Philippi, and then he says, we were bold in our God to speak to you, the Thessalonians, the gospel of God with much contention. Paul's testimony was this. I found courage in God. God himself was the source of my courage. And my friends, just as God himself is the answer for your guilt, just as God himself is the answer to the power of sin in your life, God himself is the answer to fear. Why is that? Why could Paul find courage in God? Well, notice this. He reckoned that God was present. And we read it. God's promise of his presence accompanies the command to go to all nations. You know, one of the things I have absolutely come to love about the Bible is a a lot of it is historical accounts. Have you ever noticed that? And God did it that way in his wisdom because he knew he would benefit by it. He saw fit to reveal himself through history as he brought his plan of redemption to pass. And along the way, he gave us accounts of men just like us. Yes, they lived in a different culture in a different time and probably thought about things differently than we do, but they were men just like us. And he records for us their struggles, their trials, and uh, their responses to those. And, and God did that for our benefit. But what is so very interesting to me is, uh, you know, we meet all kinds of people in the Bible. They go through all kinds of circumstances. And yet those people and those circumstances, they come and they go. But there is one person that is always present throughout the entire biblical account. In every situation, we find people faced with there. He is always present. And that is God. Now God, for example, promised, told Joshua to be of good courage because he was with him. And uh, the only reason that could cause encouragement is, uh, is based on the character, who the person is that's saying that. You say, Brother Matt, what do you mean by that? Well, let me give you an illustration. Let's say you visited me in Africa, and I said, there's this village way over here that hasn't had the gospel preached to it yet, so you're here. I'm going to take you to this village. We're going to preach the gospel to these people. Trust me, it'll be good. And uh, we're on our way. We're hiking through the bush, and then all of a sudden, we hear a lion roar. 
and you are, rightly so, afraid. And as you're standing there shaking in your shoes, I walk up to you and say, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Uh, that w the only reason that would give you comfort is if you can outrun me. <laughs> Why? You understand something about that situation. I am not more powerful than that lion. The strength of that lion exceeds my strength. But you know, it doesn't work that way with God. Over and over again throughout Scripture, God shows himself to be greater than the problems his people face. You can search it from cover to cover. You will not find one situation where God says, I've met my match. I cannot help here. You're on your own. It's not there. Over and over and over again, he proves I am always God. And my friends, the situations that you and I face do not change God. He is there whether we reckon him to be so or not. But not only is God, does God's ability exceed every circumstance that you and I will face, also his faithfulness. You know, it's one thing for somebody's ability to exceed the demands of a situation. It's another thing for them to actually apply that ability to the situation. And God is always faithful to apply his ability to the situations we are in. Hebrews chapter 13. The Bible tells us, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. To fail is absolutely contrary to the character of God. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, it's very likely that you and I will find ourselves in the midst of situations where we cannot see the hand of God. We do not know, we may not know how God is going to work this particular situation together for good. We can't see it. But one of the most important lessons of the life of faith you will ever learn is that God, even though you cannot see how he will do it, you can be assured that he will. Just because you cannot see it does not mean that God can't. In fact, the Bible testifies that the opposite is true. God will never turn his back on you. He will never leave you stranded. in your hour of crisis. And the fact that God is present and will not fail you ought to result in courage. It encouraged Paul. 
And then finally, one more thing. We can be bold in God. We can find courage in God because of the message we bear. Paul said something else that's very interesting. You're probably very familiar with it. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he testified, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel message is God's solution for man's deepest problems. It is what God has ordained for man's healing. And it is through that very message that he manifests his power by rescuing people out of the darkness they are in. He is behind it. And uh, he intends to use it. You know, it's not like God has said, okay, I want you to go out there and, uh, and uh, preach, and maybe we'll be fortunate enough that uh, maybe a few people will believe. That was not God's intent. God intended to, that his gospel be taken out into all the world. And through that message, he would actually rescue, redeem people that otherwise would die and spend eternity in hell apart from him. So the message we are told to bear is one God actually intends to use. And uh, that message is as relevant today as it is as it was 2000 years ago. It is a the gospel is a message that has never stopped being breaking news. You know, wouldn't it be something if you were walking into the store, you walked by those newspaper stands they have, somewhat, sometimes they have out there, and uh, one of them said, breaking, a man has overcome death. Breaking, peace is available for you with God. It will never lose its power. It will never get old. It is God's solution. So just to recap here, three reasons we can be, we can be bold or find courage in God. Because God is present and his greatness exceeds the demands of the situation. Because God's faithfulness is greater than the demands of the situation and because the message he has told us to bear is a message that God intends to use. And we can count on him to do that. I don't know how the Lord may have applied this truth to your life this morning. Obviously, most of you are not uh, getting ready to get on a plane and uh, go over to the other side of the world. But I have no doubt 
that in your life there may be circumstances or trials that are very difficult for you. And uh, maybe you have been responding to that trial as if God was not there. Maybe every day you suffer because it makes you, quite frankly, afraid. Or maybe you are seeking the Lord's direction for that next step in your life about something. And uh, as far as you can tell, God is leading you to do something that uh, potentially has consequences that you'd rather not experience. Whatever that may look like. Can I challenge you this morning? God is intensely interested in his people living with a faith that reflects who he truly is. The almighty God who is ever present and whose ability is not defeated by the situation you are facing whose faithfulness far exceeds anything you will ever encounter, and who, in spite of what you see going on around you, wants to glorify himself through your life, through helping others. Christians have every reason to be the boldest people on earth, not because of our own might, our own strength but because of who God is. And the God and who God is today is the same as he was yesterday and it will he will always remain that. History and the future will not change him. Let us take courage and who he is. Like I said, I don't know how God may have used this message in your heart, but what I'd like us to do now is maybe even just where you're seated there. Take a minute. And if God applied his word this morning to something specific in your life, talk to him about that. And uh, tell him that you trust him. And ask him to teach you more about himself through what you're facing. Can we do that this morning? And then Pastor Wesco, would you come and proceed with the service as you feel led?